0: I am your host, Brock Adams. As of this glorious Monday morning, the NFL tells Odell Beckham Jr. that he doesn't know how to wear pants, the NBA doesn't like it when people say yo mama jokes, and James Harden loses a fight with an inanimate object. But we begin with the three most important things that rocked our world and changed our perspective over the past seven days, or more specifically, the best of last week. First, the NBA season tipped off on Tuesday and there has been a whirlwind of events ranging from why Russell Westbrook thinks top ramen is a trendy hairstyle to how Kyrie Irving was elected the chief grandmaster emperor of the Flat Earth Society. Of course, I would love to talk to you about <laughs> <the> <laughs> and the more specifically the people of the <laughs> who are the and the in the <laughs> But unfortunately, the NBA has politely asked that I not use my big kid voice in the free world. That's right, people. Welcome to 1984. We can't talk about... With that being said, the NBA season has kicked off, and already people are jumping on and off hype trains across the country. One of the biggest differences this year is that this is the first season where the Western Conference champ is not preordained for greatness. Golden State will, in fact, not make it to the NBA Finals this year in the Loaded West, and the way they look through the opening weekend, I would dare say that they won't even make the playoffs whatsoever. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. I know. Just for reference, the Warriors lost two of their best three players this offseason and have a bench full of guys that look like they were picked out of a YMCA gym in Tampa. This year is looking more and more like it is the year of revenge for the Warriors. Not that they are the ones seeking the reckoning, but more that teams are getting their own payback after a half-decade of embarrassment. This was evidenced in the Warriors' home opener against the Clippers, where they were humiliated 141-122 by Los Angeles. After the game, Patrick Beverly was caught talking smack. Y'all a little different without KD, I see, he jabbed. "Uh Uh-huh, y'all cheated long enough. It's okay. Y'all had a good run. Back to reality. According to sources, he even continued this rant into the locker room. Y'all look a little different now, huh? No KD now, huh? Ha, back to reality. Um, sir, I'm just a janitor. I, uh, just mopped this floor. Oh, y'all, y'all had a good run. Y'all cheated. Um, I didn't play. Uh, I'm just going to put this wet floor sign on the ground. Yeah, yeah, that's right. We run this now. Cali is ours now. Boy, you already know. Um, yeah, so just turn the lights off when you're done. Where y'all going? Where y'all going? Look, we get it. The Warriors are bad. They've been decimated by injuries and are as exhausted as Keith Richards after the Rolling Stones World Tour in 2020. Teams have every right to want to exercise revenge on the Warriors, But in the shape Golden State is in, rubbing it in their face that you beat them by 20 has the same comparison as Uncle Rico talking smack to the Preston Jr. High School football team. Sure, you can throw the football over that mountain, but your competition still thinks girls have cooties and their middle linebacker is a llama. Second, in what shouldn't be a surprise to anyone, Brian Kelly and his beloved Fighting Irish lost a huge game over the weekend, adding yet another tally to most games lost in primetime moments. Notre Dame fans... I don't know which happens on a more frequent basis. You're fighting Irish underperforming on the big stage, or Manti Teo getting ghosted by a middle aged catfish living in his parents' basement. In all reality, this segment could have gone one of two ways, as both Michigan and Notre Dame have been abysmal on the big stage over the last decade. Honestly, I'm hashtag shock not shocked that Michigan walked all over the Irish on Saturday. And let's be serious, it wouldn't have been CNN breaking news to me if I'd have turned on ABC to see a 45-17 drubbing of the Wolverines either. Both teams are unpredictable in their success and have equally garbage records against top 10 teams. And they haven't been in the national title discussion in, what, 20 years? Come on, you really thought Notre Dame had a chance at beating Bama in 2013? Heck, Squints had a better chance of taking Wendy Peffercorn to prom after his near-death makeout at Lauren Farr Park that fateful summer afternoon. Let's face it, Notre Dame is a victim of archaic Midwestern schools losing their validity, and much of this is because the general population of our country is not made up of 65-year-old farmers who harvest corn for a living. Yes, we understand that schools like Notre Dame, Michigan, and Nebraska all had their shining moments underneath the lights. But let's face it, all of those glory moments were locked away in the record books before Wi-Fi was invented. Yes, they were good in the 80s, but that was then. This is now. And Brian Kelly isn't any closer to making Notre Dame actually relevant on the national stage than Bill Clinton is to being the keynote speaker to sexual harassment training. Finally, while we're on the subject of college football upsets, there were two hashtag shockers not shockers over the weekend as both Oklahoma and Texas lost to unranked opponents, essentially shredding the Big 12's chances of making the playoffs, which, should anyone be surprised? Texas and Oklahoma are the bipolar teams of college football. After week one, we hear chants of, Texas is back, baby, only to see them lose to unranked TCU. Jalen Hurts throws five TDs in the first half of week one, and the crowds can't stop drooling over him. Against Kansas State, he musters only one, and we all come back to reality as to why he was shipped out, being the backup in Bama. Texas and Oklahoma are Ted Mosby's crazy ex-girlfriend who one day will want to settle down for a long-term, meaningful relationship. And the next, they're burning his apartment to smolders on the Manhattan landscape. The Sooners and Longhorns are hot, and then they're cold. They are the best offenses in the league, and then they have a hard time scoring points against 88th-ranked defenses. No one has any idea who they really are. This bipolar madness isn't something that's just catered to Texas and Oklahoma. In fact, it's the Big 12 as a whole. It is the conference of unpredictable and unreliable fools who aren't taken seriously. And I would argue that this lack of respect comes from the faces leading the franchises from top to bottom. Let's look at the head coaches for Big 12 teams. You've got Matt Wells at Texas Tech, who was chased out of town with pitchforks from Utah State. Don't believe me? Ask any of the boosters in Logan. Then there's Les Miles at Kansas, who munches on artificial turf in his spare time. Tom Herman at Texas was openly caught red-handed taking high school coaches to strip clubs in Florida, and all he would say about the affair is, hook Mike Gundy at Oklahoma State lives under the delusion that mullets are making a comeback and has a business card that says, I'm a man. I'm 40. And Gary Patterson is yet to be told that frogs and camouflage have nothing to do with each other. Call it what you want, but the Big 12 is a sputtering mess of teams who look like they're being run without defensive coordinators. As the AP poll sits this morning, they will inevitably be left out of the college football playoff, which will in turn give the Big 12 a 3-3 and record in college football playoff appearances. I would be shocked, but hey, that's what being bipolar in Oklahoma does to you. We now shift to what matters this week, which for this episode centers on the motto of both the early Mormon pioneers as well as Jimmy Butler. Get me out of Illinois. I know that Mormon heritage and the now star of the Miami Heat share nothing in common aside from the legend of Brother Brigham Young taking a ragtag bunch of farmhands and lighting up the starters in a pickup game of steer wrestling. I'm almost positive somewhere there's an audio clip of Young saying, I was therefore dominating. But I only wrestled the heathen cow thrice. Dames, boom, boom, boom. There were steals, and there were blocks. I only shot the calf but one time. For this week's episode, we're looking at the giant gap that exists somewhere along the Mississippi River basin, separating the Eastern and Western Conference in terms of talent, competition, and overall superiority. Essentially, the makeup of the NBA conferences is looking more and more like the blue collar middle class going to war against the Elite One Percenters. The West is Bill Lumberg running the monstrous empire of Initech. And the East is the dyslexic and inept Milton worrying about a red stapler. Here are some player stats to show you how atrocious the East has been, courtesy of Mike Greenberg. Six out of the top seven players play in the West. Four out of five all-NBA first-teamers play in the West. The West has won the head-to-head regular season 10 straight years and 19 of the last 20. Since Michael Jordan retired, the West is 14-7 and in NBA Finals. Aside from Giannis and LBJ, the last Eastern Conference Finals player to make All-NBA First Team is Joachim No One Taught Me How to Make a Free Throw Noah, so stick that in your pipe and smoke it. Speaking of individual players, the East has been forced to submit quote-unquote All-Stars to the annual All-Star game that did not deserve that recognition whatsoever. I'm going to throw out some names here that have no right to put All-Star in the signature line on their email chains. Nikola Vucevic, Goran Dragic, Isaiah with an A Thomas, Jeff Teague, Roy Hibbert, Tyson Chandler, Brook Lopez, and Luol Deng. None of those names will ever get a Hall of Fame sniff, nor be looked at as a viable threat in a playoff series. The fact that they are all-stars shows how watered down and awful the Eastern competition is. In contrast, here are some players who have been snubbed simply because of their geographic location in the West. C.J. McCollum, Mike Conley, Rudy Gobert, Devin Booker, Jamal Crawford, Sergi Baca, Lamar Odom. All of those players have key moments where they have emerged the victors in a playoff series, and many of them are go-to threats in basketball today. Any one of the West snubs could humiliate any of the other East stars. You think Isaiah with an A has a snowball's chance in Phoenix of beating C.J. McCollum? Fat chance! The bottom line is that the West gets better and the talent pool is deeper because everyone wants to get away from the Atlantic. Now you may ask, why is this? Why are stars literally putting themselves at risk of dying of dysentery because they're following the path blazed on the Oregon Trail? Essentially, why is the West so enticing? Well, let me ask you this. What are the bargaining chips for the powerhouse cities in the East? You've got Detroit, where the economy is so awful they won't even fix the potholes in the arena. Cleveland, a place sitting next to a stinky lake that is so bad, it's chased away its golden boy twice. Charlotte, which is basically purgatory in North Carolina, and the Hornets always play second fiddle to NASCAR events and Billy Graham's evangelical empire. Indiana is the realistic epitome of the show Parks and Rec, full of non-humorous Ron Swanson's eating corn on the cob. Chicago is embedded in the most corrupt and bankrupt state in the entire country. Orlando is a smoke and mirrors show owned by Darth Vader's prodigy Mickey Mouse. In D.C., people are more concerned about impeaching senators left and right. They can't even tell what PC agenda has renamed their stadium. And your housing in Toronto is a custom-made igloo in the Canadian wilderness? Playing out West isn't like that. The West is cool. It's advanced. It's forward-thinking. It's tech-savvy. It's the attractive grad student studying global enterprise you met at your first college party where the East is your homebound high school sweetheart named Sally who is struggling to get through hair school. The West has the L.A. market, the Hollywood scene, the warm weather, the fast-paced lifestyle. You could match up every city in the West versus a comparable city in the East, and it wouldn't even be a contest. New York or L.A.? Well, do I want a racist owner, or do I want one who pops a blood vessel in excitement when I make a free throw? Warriors or Wizards? Hmm. Do I want to play with the greatest shooter of all time and arguably one of the greatest teammates of all time, Or do I want to get paid leftover crumbles because my team has given up hundreds of millions of dollars to an Achilles injury? Go ahead and match them up however you want. Do I want to risk being mauled by a polar bear in Toronto? Or being frisked by a Starbucks injected liberal in Portland? Should I worry about getting a slight sunburn on a golf course in Phoenix? Or panic because the team didn't provide me a storm cellar when husks of corn start coming at me 110 miles an hour in Indiana? Measure it however you want. The West always wins, and it's only going to continue to get better. Which brings us to this. Back in 1994, when O.J. was trying on bloody gloves and Michael Jackson was marrying Elvis' daughter, a bizarre trend swept the country originating from the Hawaiian Islands called Pogs. And for all those millennials and Gen Zers who are out there asking themselves, what the bleep are Pogs? I'll tell you. Pogs were the 90s version of the game Marbles, where kids would stack cardboard lids with 8-ball designs on top of each other, and then try to knock them over with the rubber and metal weight that we all called Slammers. I know, 1994 was a weird time. In fact, it also gave us Beanie Babies, and I swear by all for one. The interesting thing about pogs is that their shelf life was shorter than Tyrion Lannister. They did not last. As quick as they took the country by storm in April of 94, they were dead by Christmas. People began to realize to themselves, hold on. I'm throwing rubber weights at milk carton lids, and I'm spending money on this junk to boot? That's ridiculous. And in defense of our reasoning in 1994, it was. As soon as people realized the lunacy of this fad, it was rushed away quicker than Lance Armstrong's PED records on the French mountainside. And that is what is becoming of the Eastern Conference. It is slowly, year by year, free agent by free agent, becoming the lost fad of Pogs a conference loaded with sub-500 teams making the playoffs, rosters full of players there via trade, not by choice, and the breeding ground for mediocrity and dumpster fires. The Eastern Conference is the pogs of mid-'90s fandom, a trend that everyone recognized as a waste of time and something not worth spending money on. Thanks for listening to Brand Spanking New. We'll definitely be back next week, unlike Paul Chris and the Wisconsin Badgers. I think the Red Box Bull is calling their names already.